The following episode of Lyrics of Their Life podcast deals with serious issues such as drug references, sexual references and violence that may be distressing to some listeners. It is not suitable for children. Listener discretion is advised. Hello and welcome to Lyrics of Their Life, the podcast that talks about the extraordinary lives lived by those that wrote or performed the songs we know and love. I'm your host Adam Hampton, and in today's episode, we'll be taking a look back on the life of Coolio, who sadly passed away recently. Known best for his monster number one hit, titled Gangster's Paradise, in this episode, we take a look at Coolio's tough and crazy upbringing, his time in the limelight, every major moment of his life leading up to his death, and the legacy he left behind. This is one epic story that you don't want to miss out on, so without further ado, let's get straight into it. This is the story of Coolio. This is Lyrics of Their Life. Coolio was born Artis Leon Ivy Jr. on the 1st of August 1963 in the small town of Monison, Pennsylvania, in the USA, with a population of around 15,000 at the time. Coolio's father, Artis Leon Ivy Sr., was a carpenter, while his mother, Jackie Slater, was a factory worker, both of which were of African-American descent, with his father originally coming from Little Rock in Arkansas and his mother being from Shreveport in Louisiana. Sadly, however, Coolio's childhood wasn't the easiest, with his father being forced to leave the family home when Coolio was just two years old, as his father was arrested and sent to prison. However, what he did was never actually publicised leaving his mother Jackie to raise Coolio all by herself for some time, along with Coolio's older sister by six years, who was named Vanita. During his childhood, Coolio suffered from severe asthma, which saw him rush to hospital on a number of occasions. Coolio was often referred to as a bookworm and excelled at school. He was quite intelligent, often getting good grades, as he was predicted to go far in life academically, even correcting his teachers on things like spelling mistakes that they had made during class. Coolio read books all the time, with the encouragement of his mother Jackie, who read to him often, and encouraged him to visit the local library, where Coolio could expand his knowledge on all sorts of subjects. It was only a few blocks from his house, and despite being a small library, it had loads of books. As he told Rolling Stone magazine, quote, I lived in that library, man. I read every kid's book they had in there. I even read Judy Bloom." Judy Bloom, of course, being known for her books based on female adolescence. 
Coolio also enjoyed the science fiction section, and especially books about dragons. Coolio absolutely loved reading books and immersing himself in all different imaginative worlds, even admitting to stealing a large amount of books from that library and not returning them, which he believes led to his friends judging him on his love for books, as they just couldn't understand why he loved them so much. Coolio's mother Jackie was very attentive to Coolio's needs, often sitting down to play games with him, such as cards, dominoes, scrabble and chess, which only helped his young brain to develop. Coolio remembers by age 7 being able to read very well, as he would often read the freeway signs when travelling in the car with his mother. For Coolio, reading came very easy to him, thanks to his mother's aid, as he recalled reading at a 6th grade level in the 3rd grade. At this stage of his life, Coolio saw himself going off to college or Harvard and studying, and had no aspirations of becoming a rapper or hip-hop artist, despite loving music, as his major passion was for reading. Coolio would describe his mother Jackie as a small lady who was a, quote, tough motherfucker, and that she wasn't to be messed with, as he was quoted as saying, my mother was more gangster than anybody I've ever met. By the age of eight, Coolio's father, Artis Senior, was still in prison when his parents decided to officially get divorced. When his mother Jackie eventually repartnered, she decided to relocate with Coolio, now aged 11, and his sister Vanita, aged 17, to a struggling gang-riddled area of Compton in California, which was often referred to as the Hood, with Coolio describing it as rough for the most part. They struggled at times, but Coolio's mother, with the financial help of his stepfather, did well to keep a roof over their heads, with both children having their own bedrooms, with Coolio recalling fond memories of Christmas time with his family. Coolio claimed that they would occasionally go to bed hungry, but they got by and that it wasn't all that bad. Coolio's relationship with his stepfather, however, would be a rocky one, highlighting that there were both good and bad things about him. It was during this time, living with his mother and new stepfather, that he developed a love for soul music, which was often being played around the house. In fact, the album by the soul vocal group, The Dramatics, called A Dramatic Experience, was one of the most earliest influences musically for Coolio, as he absolutely loved the album, as he was quoted as saying... That was one album that really, really stands out in my mind. I can still listen to it over and over. It started me thinking about being an entertainer. I was probably 9 or 10 when I heard it. We used to have one of those old record players, and my mother and stepfather used to play their records in the house. The dramatic songs had real meaning too. They weren't just all about sex and all of that. They were about life. Growing up, one of Coolio's favourite artists of all time was Stevie Wonder. The very first album that Coolio would receive as a gift was Stevie Wonder's Music of My Mind from 1972, which featured one of his favourite songs called Superwoman. As Coolio was quoted as saying, Got that for my 12th birthday, that one, and Fight the Power by the Isley Brothers. 
Coolio claimed that as a kid, his mother and stepfather listened to artists like Miles Davis, Marvin Gaye, The Supremes and Curtis Mayfield, which all influenced his taste in music, while he also told the Rolling Stone magazine, quote, Back in those days, people didn't have big album collections, at least not in the ghetto, but we did. I listened to old soul, old funk, a couple of old rap albums, maybe some new rap stuff here and there. I don't like new R&B, period. With Coolio's stepfather in the picture, Coolio would also welcome his half-brother into the world, named Malik Strauder, and a half-sister named Dee Dee with Coolio remaining close to both of them throughout his life. While Coolio told Hot Press, quote, I come from very humble beginnings. My mother was a factory worker, my stepfather was a postal worker, and my real father was a convict. And when I was 11, my stepfather and mother divorced, and believe me, it got pretty rough around that time. So I just believe that no matter where you come from and what your beginnings are, if you are of the mindset that you want to do something with your life, you can do it, as long as you attain some kind of education. Coolio's mother and stepfather decided to split up when he was around 11 years old after a slew of domestic violence incidences between Coolio's mother and his stepfather. Coolio remembers the pair often engaging in verbal arguments and physical fistfights. As he was quoted as saying on the Talking Bollocks podcast, quote, He was a piece of shit. Well, I can't really say he was a piece of shit because he wasn't that bad of a dude. Him and my mother fought though, like fist fought. So it was rough around my house, but I can't really blame it all on him because my mother would fucking take off on his ass as Coolio claimed that his mother would punch his stepfather out of nowhere, or for any old reason if she felt like it. When fights broke out between the two, Coolio was quoted as saying, I was scared. I was scared of that shit. Coolio claimed that his mother even stabbed his stepfather with a knife once, and that they still stayed together for a while, despite this incident. Coolio's mother Jackie wasn't afraid to hold her own, for a while, their relationship had started turning extremely nasty, toxic, and deceitful, with arguments breaking out all the time. Coolio's stepfather, however, started cheating on Jackie by sleeping with friends of hers, which made her furious and obviously upset. One day, a crazy physical altercation broke out during an argument between Coolio's mother and stepfather, when Coolio got to the point where he had had enough of his stepfather attempting to stand over his mother, as Coolio decided to grab a ball pain hammer and hit his stepfather over the head with it. A loud thud was heard when he connected with his head, as Coolio's stepfather turned around and hit Coolio across the face with the back of his hand, continuing to slap him with what Coolio refers to as slapping the shit out of him. His stepfather then turned his attention to Jackie and threw her to the ground, pinning her down, only for Jackie to power her way out of the situation by holding him up and throwing him off of her in what Coolio says, quote, My mum turned superhuman. Deciding to stick up for her son and herself, Jackie would step in, taking matters to a whole new level. When she went to the wardrobe cupboard, and pulled out Coolio's stepfather's old 22 rifle and pulled it on him, 
shooting his stepdad in the arm at point-blank range and breaking his arm in the process. Jackie went to pull the trigger again to finish the job, as his stepfather begged for his life, only for Coolio's sister Vanita to come and knock the gun out of her mother's hands. Coolio's stepfather's arm would become infected, leaving him to develop yellow jaundice, due to the bullets and inside of the barrel being old and rusty, and entering into his bloodstream, with the infection itself almost killing him. This, of course, was the final straw, and he decided to move out, with the infection to the gun wound lasting around three to four years. While Coolio's mother was completely let off the hook when Coolio's stepfather decided not to go to the police after he was the instigator of the violence. With his stepfather leaving the family home, Coolio had bittersweet feelings as it was now the second father figure to exit his life at such a young age. While his stepfather was often cruel and abusive towards him and his mother, in an odd but understandable way, he was like the closest thing he had ever had to a real father, sharing some good times with him, and now he was leaving too. This led to tough times for the family financially, with Coolio stating, quote, It was rough on her after that, because she had to do everything by herself. Even though he was an asshole, he was a good provider. He took care of home. Shit got rough after that. This eventually led to Coolio experiencing a rebellious stage where he even received a tattoo dedicated to his mother that reads, Boo, along with a Playboy bunny smoking a cigarette. Boo, of course, being the name that his mother often used for Coolio. Coolio was also said to have went into his shell a bit at this time and spent a lot of time by himself in his bedroom as he started to have a tough time with trusting other people other than his mother and his sister. During this rebellious period, Coolio was even caught by his mother one day during class, giving his teacher grief, when he was hopping back and forth on the top of their class desks, only for the class to stop laughing and go silent when Coolio looked up and saw his mother standing there shaking her head, as she basically said to him, get your motherfucking ass off that table. Despite his rebellious outbursts, his stepfather leaving was probably for the best, as it wasn't good for anyone to be exposed to that sort of violence. Coolio's mother, however, would soon repartner and marry another man named Ray that was much the same as his last stepfather. With Coolio claiming that she also stabbed him with a knife six times in the stomach, after he got paid on a Thursday and didn't return home until Sunday with no money to pay for their bills or to put food on the table. Not to mention, he was also blind drunk and lying about where he had been. It's safe to say their relationship also ended there after the stabbing and in order to keep Jackie out of trouble, Ray told those who asked about the stab wounds that he just got jumped by a group of men with Jackie once again avoiding jail time for what she had done. Around the year 1975, Coolio's biological father would be released from prison when Coolio was 12 years old, but he didn't exactly get to spend much time with him, only seeing him occasionally during holidays and the occasional weekend with his father, who had decided to move on with his life 
marrying another woman who already had one child of her own and deciding to have four more children together. On a more positive note, however, his father did manage to stay out of prison. Coolio would often go on to say, hip-hop is my father, meaning that hip-hop was there for him and pulled him out of all sorts of troubled situations when no father figure was there for him. Despite his troubles at home, Coolio's gifted ability at school didn't go unnoticed. He was one of the four smartest children in his whole class at South Central Elementary School in LA, and he would be put up from the fifth grade straight to the seventh grade, skipping sixth grade altogether. However, this appeared to backfire socially for Coolio as he struggled to fit in with a class full of older students who were bigger physically or taller and these fellow students picked on Coolio for his size as he was already quite short on average for his age group as well as being quite scrawny. This of course was despite matching or bettering them academically. His asthma was also something he would be picked on for, often struggling to join in or participate in sport without having a few puffs on his reliever. And despite enjoying playing basketball or football casually due to the high school he was at, being quite football or gridiron mad, this opened up another area for bullying to occur as he wasn't able to play competitively and fit in with the jocks. Coolio claimed that he was bullied from 2nd grade all the way up to 7th grade, when eventually by junior high school, Coolio had had enough and built up the courage to stand up to his bullies by fighting back, proving he wasn't to be messed with, which after some time had passed, the bullying finally ceased and Coolio was able to continue on with his schooling in peace, stating that he gained their respect through fighting back. With Coolio's stepfather leaving the family, his sister Vanita being sent to live with extended family due to some violent incidents at school and his mother reportedly losing her job and drinking heavily, contributing to a lack of money coming in. One summer, Coolio started hanging out with older kids, which led to Coolio involving himself in the wrong crowds as a teenager as he found himself hanging out with members of a well-known gang from the coastal area of Southern California, known as the Crips, or in his case, the Baby Crips, who repped the colour blue as Coolio began walking around with a blue bandana and a clip-on earring. Known for being one of the most brutal, violent and largest street gangs in the whole of the US since its formation during 1969, with an estimated member population of 30 to 40,000 members during a 2008 survey, the Crips have had a long-running feud with a rival gang known as the Bloods, with both gangs being known to commit all sorts of crimes from robbery, murder and drug deals, among other serious crimes. Coolio stated that he was attracted to this lifestyle as there wasn't much else to aspire to in that area. As he was quoted as saying, When you're a kid in the hood, there's nothing glamorous but the Crips. It's so much better than anything else in your life that you learn to love it. Coolio would start smoking cigarettes and marijuana, doing drugs and drinking alcohol at this point, 
and even carried out some small-scale robberies and shoplifting to impress his fellow Crips in the hopes of being officially initiated into the Crips gang itself. Coolio claimed everything had just piled up at once and he was looking to let his frustrations out. On the Talking Bollocks podcast, he claimed that when his sister left home, it felt like he was an only child, and being alone in that environment only made things worse for him. Many strange and dangerous men were introduced to Coolio over the years, as his mother was continually dating, and according to Coolio himself, during an interview on the Talking Bollocks podcast, six years on from the incident, where Coolio's mother shot his stepfather, an almost identical incident occurred once again when Jackie's new boyfriend would also be shot by her, but this time in the face and miraculously surviving it. Just days before this incident occurred, Coolio at the time was running with the baby Crips, dressed in blue sporting his bandana as he and his crew drove around town with souvenir baseball bats looking for a fight after purchasing them from a local baseball game. On the day of the domestic, Coolio started walking out of his house to join his crew when he overheard his mother's boyfriend yelling bitch at his mother. So Coolio ran in through the back door and questioned him on why he was calling her a bitch. After he had told Coolio to go away by referring to him as a little boy, Coolio brandished his baseball bat and said who the fuck you calling little boy? His mother also asked Coolio to leave, but Coolio wasn't about to go anywhere after the way that her boyfriend was just speaking to her. Coolio decided to take matters into his own hands as he started swinging at him with the bat, cracking him over the head, with Coolio claiming he was quite a tall man at 6'4 and 220 pounds and fresh out of jail. In retaliation to Coolio hitting him with the bat, the boyfriend punched Coolio, sending him across the room. Coolio claimed that his mother Jackie let out a strange or crazed laugh in disgust and disbelief at her boyfriend for punching Coolio, before pulling out a 38 revolver from under her pillow and shooting him in the face or mouth to stick up for her son. Her now ex-boyfriend lost some teeth in the incident and Coolio and his mother never saw him again. Some neighbours came racing over during the incident, yelling at Jackie to put the gun down after he had shot him, which she did, with Coolio slipping out the back with a pocket full of the bullets, which he had taken out of the gun, as he slipped them into his trash can in his bedroom, in the hopes of somehow covering for his mother. Despite this, Jackie was sent to jail over the incident, and spent some time behind bars. Unfortunately, his mother had quite the history of violence after Coolio claimed that when he was six years old, she had even cut part of a woman's breast off with a carpet or Stanley knife over a dispute after the woman called Jackie a bitch. Although he wouldn't like to admit it, and while his mother was good to him, her behaviour no doubt contributed to some of Coolio's poor choices in life, but she also taught him not to take shit from anybody. Luckily for Coolio, however, he had the smarts to turn away from the gang lifestyle and violent family cycle thanks to witnessing a few terrifying moments and his love of music, with his passion for hip-hop or rapping 
pulling him away from the gang lifestyle, as he would never actually become a fully-fledged member of the Crips. After learning what crimes they had actually committed, stating that the life wasn't for him. As Coolio was quoted as saying on the Tom Snyder Late Show in 1996, quote, I ran with some Crips that were so hard, they were so crazy, that after running with them for a couple of weeks, I didn't want to be a Crip no more. I really immersed myself into rapping after that. Coolio continued on as he stated, I saw them do some things that I couldn't get with. I mean, I saw them hurt some people that didn't even do anything. I wasn't raised like that. Their sense of reality was warped. They thought that that made them tougher, or that that made them more respected, and it just made me throw up. You know, I saw some guys hit a guy with a hammer in his head right there in front of me. Coolio claimed in another interview, quote, I watched them beat him to death. Then I threw up. That's when I stopped rolling with the gang. Coolio claimed that he was scared that they might do it to him one day, so he called it quits on running with the Crips. As he claimed on the Talking Bollocks podcast, quote, I saw motherfuckers get shot, beat up, and stomped out. While Coolio also claimed fights started with fists and were not usually deadly, but it all changed for him when by 1983, the guns and knives started coming out and being used in fights, claiming he ran with a group of 17 men, that by his 18th birthday, 13 of them were dead due to violent gang wars, and in one case, his friend was selling bar soap in disguise for rock cocaine, which caught up on him and cost him his life when he was gunned down. Coolio claimed that he and these 17 men were close like brothers and would play basketball and football together. According to Coolio on the Tomiko Show on YouTube, Coolio was first introduced to hip-hop around the age of 15 by a couple of teenagers that had moved over from New York to live with their grandmother across the street from Coolio in Compton. One of them happened to be a DJ that went by the name DJ D, who had a turntable and some serious skills. Coolio would sit and watch and learn from him, as well as from some other kids in the neighbourhood who were wannabe rappers. Coolio wasn't exactly interested in rap at the time, but after offering his unwanted advice to one of these rappers, who had just put together a song, claiming they had wrote great verses, Coolio was asked to come up with something better. So he did, and it ended up being the best of the verses that were recorded for the song. So from this point on, he kept writing and freestyling, and strived to become an MC. According to Coolio, however, he once wanted to be a singer instead of a rapper, but realised he didn't exactly have the voice for it. Coolio's attention to his schooling even began to suffer, as he was showing up to school wearing baggy clothing, and was said to have been on the verge of being kicked out of school by the 10th grade. A far cry from his days of dreaming of a Harvard scholarship. By the 11th grade, when Coolio was about 16 or 17, he would rap for the very first time in public at his high school for a school dance, as he was quoted as saying, It was just some bragging. I'm Coolio this, I'm Coolio that. Rapping was so new that people were appreciative. Coolio focused on his rapping 
by regularly performing at his local high school, school talent shows, parks and at house parties, earning quite the reputation for his skillful technique and witty lyrics. But despite turning away from the gang lifestyle and running with the Crips, Coolio found himself in a fair bit of trouble over the years, attempting to be seen as cool by his peers at school, by changing his persona, attempting to act crazy, and being caught bringing a knife and even a firearm to school, to flex that he wasn't to be messed with, which eventually led him to being arrested, after he flashed his weapons one too many times, as he was quoted as saying, I started acting crazy, bring a knife to school, hit you on the head with a bottle, whatever. After being arrested, Coolio was released with a warning, but by the age of 17, the law finally caught up to him when he was jailed as a juvenile offender for around 6 to 10 months for larceny. This was after Coolio had attempted to cash in a money order that had actually been stolen by one of his friends, which he ended up taking the rap for. His friend had allegedly robbed a woman at knife point, stealing her purse and encouraging Coolio to cash in the money order. The police later showed up to Coolio's door where he confessed to cashing it in. During his time in jail, Coolio spent his 18th birthday in his cell and sadly developed an addiction to rocks of crack cocaine as he would roll it into joints called primos and smoke it which sadly would be an almost lifelong battle along with smoking marijuana. With Coolio later stating that he, like many of his friends, thought it was a harmless drug at the time, like marijuana, and they didn't know how addictive and dangerous it could be, and that they didn't know what they were doing, as it was a relatively new drug to the area. When Coolio exited jail as an 18-year-old and returned to his mother's care in Compton, one of his friends proved a bad influence on him and hooked him up with some more primos, which came cheaper than buying crack outright, and according to Coolio, it tasted better. This led Coolio to continue his addiction on the outside. We interrupt our program to bring you this important message. Hi everyone, and sorry to interrupt. I hope you're enjoying this episode, but I just wanted to take this opportunity to tell you four ways on how you can support the podcast and play your part in keeping it going so I can continue to bring you more great episodes. If you enjoy Lyrics of Their Life podcast, first of all, it would be greatly appreciated if you could subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. It's totally free to do. It just means that you will receive a notification when a new episode of the podcast becomes available. Secondly, you can leave the podcast a positive five-star review on iTunes as this helps the podcast reach a larger audience. Third of all, you can tell your friends all about the podcast or join us on our social media pages at Facebook, Instagram, TikTok and Twitter. While finally, you can take your support one step further and head to our Patreon page and pledge your support to one of two of our plans for just $1 or $5 per month with no locking contract. Or you can pledge just a one-off payment for all the hard work that goes into creating the podcast. And you will receive a number of extra benefits to go with your donation. Or you can even buy me a beer for $5 at buymeacoffee.com forward slash lyrics of life pod. I am a totally independent podcast creator, meaning there are no large networks or businesses financially supporting my work. 
so your support would be greatly appreciated as it means I can continue creating more content such as biographies, the weekly muse, interviews and more as it takes a lot of time, resources and research to prepare and upload just one single episode. Links to Patreon and Buy Me A Coffee can be found in the show notes on our website at lyricsoftheirlife.com or on our Facebook page. Once again, I appreciate every one of my listeners for their support, no matter the form it comes in. Thanks for listening. Now let's get back to the episode. With Coolio managing to finish high school in just five years due to skipping the sixth grade, Coolio attended Compton Community College, the same college that Snoop Dogg attended. But Coolio struggled to apply himself, with his focus being more so on his ambitions to become a rapper and sadly, smoking crack cocaine. So he eventually dropped out. When Coolio began to rap as a performer, he started off in small venues, performing up to four to five times a week for little to no pay at all. Instead, just doing it for the love for rapping and the experience of performing for a live audience, which he absolutely loved. Coolio really started to impress audiences at both the community college and elsewhere, and it would be around this time that he was first labelled Coolio Iglesias, like the famous Spanish singer Julio Iglesias. While it was believed to be meant as an insult to Coolio from one of his friends, he didn't see it that way and turned a negative into a positive, with Coolio sticking as his stage name. During this time, Coolio was scouted by radio station KDAY-FM to perform on their show. As Coolio told Tom Snyder in 1996, quote, There was a program called the Performing Arts Program, and that was run by a guy named Roy Kaufman, who worked for KDAY, and he just went into the inner city and found kids that had any kind of talent. If you could dance, sing, or rap, if you had enough savvy and enough wit to put together a stage show that you could present and make people interested in, he would let you perform. I learned so much. I really, really learned the value of a live performance if you're a performer. There wasn't anything at this time that Coolio wouldn't rap for, taking every opportunity that was presented to him, even rapping at an opening for a fast food restaurant known as Church's Chicken in Vermont in the USA, where as payment, he received a cooked chicken from their store. Coolio went on to work a number of jobs at fast food restaurants, jumping from shop to shop, spending as little as three months at each restaurant, including Burger King, McDonald's, Taco Bell, Big K Pizza, Jack in the Box, and KFC, where Coolio claimed that he would occasionally take from the till to fuel his drug habits. While living around LA, Coolio also worked as a pre-boarding screening technician, or security guard, at Los Angeles International Airport, where he would check for hazardous or unpermitted items in people's luggage using the x-ray scanner. With Coolio often admitting that he wasn't even paying attention most of the time and likely led individuals onto planes with knives, drugs, firearms and potentially bombs. Coolio continued to work at LAX airport as a pre-screener, 
but admitted after a trip back to Compton to see his crack-dealing friend that he returned to his workplace high on crack cocaine, often letting things through that he shouldn't have, and said that he would often sneak off or go on his breaks where he would smoke primos or weed. Sadly, much of what Coolio was earning from his job was now being spent on drugs, and eventually he started buying crack outright instead of just primos, which was much more expensive. At one stage, he was transferred to the luggage department, located near the main doors, as he would handle people's luggage, allowing for the perfect opportunity to search through their luggage and steal cash for his drug habits. He liked this position better, as he could also return the luggage carts, and received a quarter every time he did so. Despite this risky behaviour, he would last two years at LAX airport, avoiding the sack and quitting the job himself, sadly turning his focus to smoking more crack and marijuana. Coolio's mother Jackie, who was now out of prison, noticed he was struggling with addiction and was running out of ideas on how to help him. She was determined to put her son on the straight and arrow, and along with his close friend Spoon, they ordered that he leave for Northern California, away from his troubled friends and the temptations of the troubled Compton area. In order to straighten him out, Coolio was sent to live with his biological father in San Jose, California. The same father who also spent many years behind bars when Coolio was a child who more than likely sat down with his son and gave him a few hard truths and life lessons on how to not end up back in jail. When describing living in San Jose, California, Coolio told Tom Snyder in an interview in 1996, quote, It was different, it was a much slower pace there, and drugs weren't rampant on the streets. During his time in San Jose, Coolio even worked as a paid firefighter in the Northern Californian forests, putting out wildfires and carrying out other duties, which he says, quote, Then I started fighting fires, and that's when I got into the little firefighting program. I was up in the mountains for a couple of months. It was kind of a self-cure program, where I can't really explain it. I just say it was God. In relation to his friend Spoon pushing Coolio to straighten out, he didn't just tell him to, he actually threatened him to. As Coolio spoke about this, as well as the physical effect that firefighting had on him, when he was quoted as saying, It was the hardest work I ever did. It helped me get my mind back together. I was down to a hundred pounds. I was a skeleton, and Spoon pointed a 38 caliber at my head and told me, if I didn't promise to clean up, he would kill me. It was just what I needed. Routine, order, discipline, and a strong physical regimen to toughen me up. Thanks to his new lifestyle change and firefighting, Coolio was able to overcome his addiction to crack cocaine for the time being by weaning himself off of it, and he was finally enjoying his life without needing to step foot in a rehab clinic. Coolio would manage to stay clean from smoking crack or doing cocaine for another 12 years before dabbling in it again, along with occasionally taking ecstasy when it started to come in. Putting down the crack pipe also meant he was more focused on other things, such as becoming a professional hip-hop artist. 
Coolio attempted to make it as a rapper by recording and releasing his first single in 1987 at the age of 23, with a song titled Whatcha Gonna Do. The track even managed to find its way onto the local LA hip-hop radio station KDAY-FM, which Coolio found so exciting that he started to plan what he was going to do with all of his extra cash that would be coming his way, including buying some brand new cars like a Cadillac or a convertible LeBron, or even buying two of them and buying his mother a house. However, he didn't quite understand how the music industry worked and quickly realised when he had made no money from his song being played on radio that he hadn't made it just yet and that it was going to take a lot of hard work to fulfil these dreams of his. The track What You Gonna Do failed to take off along with a number of other tracks he had recorded at the time including High School Freaks. Making matters more complicated for Coolio was the fact that his new girlfriend, Josepha Salinas, had just fallen pregnant with their very first child, giving birth to their baby daughter in late 1987 and naming her Artisha. This made Coolio a father for the first time at the age of 26, which sadly coincided with the death of his beloved mother Jackie, who passed away shortly after his daughter's birth, after suffering from a brain hemorrhage. Although a strict woman who had her flaws, Coolio loved his mother dearly and would often bring her up in interviews, speaking fondly of his memories of her and the guidance she provided with his education and his love for music. Coolio would sadly reveal later on that he wished she had have lived on to at least see his success and experience it with him as he had put her through a lot of grief over the years with his troubles with crime and drugs. During 1988, however, Coolio and his now fiancée Josepha would have a second child and daughter together named Brandy. Coolio next released a song called I Wanna Know What Makes You Dance under the artist name New School with his good friend Spoon during 1988 and later releasing a solo track that year titled You're Gonna Miss Me. At this time, the NWA had just blown up on the scene with Straight Outta Compton, which inspired Coolio that he too could do it, being guys just like him from the hood. This inspired and led Coolio to search for other opportunities and slowly he built relationships and connections to fellow rappers and musicians on the LA scene through performing around LA. He performed in a group called Low Profile before eventually securing a spot in the rap or hip hop group WC in the Mad Circle during 1991 with lead rapper William LaShawn Calhoun Jr., aka WC, who was around six years younger than Coolio, as well as members DJ Crazy Tunes and Big G. The name of the group, of course, deriving from William Calhoun's initials of WC, as well as Mad Circle, representing Minority Alliance of Anti-Discrimination Circle. On the 17th of September, 1991, Coolio with WC and the Mad Circle released their debut album titled Ain't a Damn Thing Changed, with their lead single being titled Dress Code. Like their group name suggests, 
Much of the album delved into the experiences of African Americans during the early 1900s, as well as life in LA during the 80s and early 90s. However, the album and single failed to make much of an impact on the charts, with the album reaching just number 52 on the US Top R&B and Hip Hop Album Chart, and 29 on the US Heat Seekers Chart. Things would take a turn for the worst in regards to Coolio's career, however, as Coolio would move on from WC and the Mad Circle prior to the album's release, with the group going on to release another album much later in 1995 without Coolio in it, titled Curb Servin', which managed to fare more successfully, reaching number 15 on the US Top R&B and Hip Hop chart, with the single West Up featuring Mac-10 and Ice Cube being the group's first successful single. This collaboration would lead the group to being disbanded, with WC going on to form the gangster rap supergroup Westside Connection, with Mac-10 and Ice Cube. It wouldn't be until 1993 when Coolio caught his first big break as a solo act after collaborating with the rap duo 40 Fevs, who also happened to be made up of Coolio's brother Malik and Malik's half-brother to a different mother, Henry Strauder, who along with DJ Wino helped Coolio secure a recording contract with Tommy Boy Records. This was after sending them in a copy of his demo tape, which impressed immediately. It had taken around five solid years of networking and performing to make it happen, but Coolio was finally in with a shot, signing his very first record deal. Tommy Boy Records were proactive in getting Coolio into the studio immediately to begin recording a standalone single, but after impressing them with his one song, it ended up resulting in his full debut album being recorded, titled It Takes a Thief, which was released on the 19th of July, 1994. Coolio's fortunes had well and truly turned around, with the album Takes a Thief rising up the charts to number 8 on the Billboard 200 and 5 on the US R&B and Hip Hop chart, selling over a million copies in the US where it would go platinum. The album itself was praised by critics for Coolio's ability to rap about serious and grim topics such as gang-related crimes in LA, but by putting a humorous or light-hearted twist on his raps to lessen the impact of the often harsh material or meanings behind the songs, and enabled him to be far more commercially successful and radio-friendly reaching a larger audience as opposed to most gangster rappers out there that were detailing their crimes, the brutal lifestyle, and cussing continuously in their songs. The album's success was also thanks to the hit single Fantastic Voyage, which charted at number 2 on the US rap chart and 3 on the US Billboard Hot 100, selling 1 million copies and going platinum in the US also. The track also experienced some success internationally, reaching number 8 in New Zealand, 13 on the UK dance charts, 37 in Australia, and 41 on the UK mainstream chart. Fantastic Voyage is a catchy hit song that is often forgotten about with its funky bass-driven flowing style of beat, which heavily samples the 80s funk band Lakeside's track of the same name. While the chorus is of course fun and catchy, reading, 
Slide, slide, slippity slide. Coolio raps about a much more serious topic of wanting to escape from the rough, poverty-stricken and troubled gang-related areas of LA in which he lives in order to perhaps one day raise his children in a more friendly and safe area as he raps the line, trying to find a place where my kids can play outside without living in fear of a drive-by. The music video for Fantastic Voyage would feature Coolio himself in his local LA or Compton environment in which he raps about, while sporting his unique tall standing braided hairstyle, which of course became one of his most identifiable and iconic features. The humorous and light-hearted music video also helped disguise the serious message in the song, with MTV especially finding the video appealing, as it was featured heavily on the music video channel. After the success of Coolio's debut album, Coolio would perform live for the first time officially in Philadelphia during September 1994, before performing at MTV Spring Break and Lollapalooza. Tommy Boy Records, with Coolio, once again wasted no time and headed into the studio to begin work on his second studio album, which would go on to be called Gangster's Paradise. The very first single to be released from the album was the song itself, Gangster's Paradise, which of course is known today as one of the most memorable songs from the 90s and in some cases of all time. Gangster's Paradise was released on the 1st of August 1995 and would feature the brilliant vocals during the chorus by singer Larry Sanders, who goes by the stage name Large Variety, aka LV. The idea for the song came about when Coolio was tasked with writing and recording a track for the soundtrack to the 1995 film Dangerous Minds. Coolio had been fond of LV's music for a number of years, especially when he was in the gangster rap group South Central Cartel. LV had been working on a song at the time that was both reworked and inspired by Stevie Wonder's 1976 track Pastime Paradise. When Coolio was headed to his manager Paul Stewart's house one day to pick up a $17,000 check and to sign some paperwork while also hoping to score some weed, he overheard Paul's housemate and Coolio's producer, Doug Rashid, in the home studio playing the tune that would become Gangster's Paradise, as well as the killer vocals by LV during the chorus. And Coolio instantly fell in love with it. At the time, Doug and LV claimed it was just something they were working on, and Coolio demanded that he be a part of it by literally saying, It's mine. It was only a project in the works at the time, so LV would send Coolio a demo tape, with Coolio sending back the first couple lines that very same day, which he completely freestyled. This was before reciting the other verses in his head and jotting it down on paper while in the studio, and the rest was history, as they returned to the studio to fine-tune and finish the track. With Coolio stating, I wrote Gangster's Paradise out like I already knew it. It was divine intervention. The song was played five days later for Disney executives who were filming the Dangerous Minds film, and just like that, it became part of the film's soundtrack. 
Prior to the song Gangster's Paradise being added to the film, the test screening was seen as a huge flop, with the track adding a much needed difference to the final cut, with the film going on to make $180 million at the box office. The plot of the film Dangerous Minds is based off of an autobiography called My Posse Don't Do Homework by a retired US Marine named Luann Johnson. During the film, actress Michelle Pfeiffer plays the role of a white woman named Luann who retires from the Marines to take up an opportunity as a high school teacher. However, she is met by hostility from her students who are mostly of African American and Latino backgrounds. Luann at first struggles to navigate their own personal battles with most of her students being raised in poor or working class families and being involved in drug dealings and gang related crime. Over time, however, through unconventional methods such as speaking their lingo and providing them with rewards, Luann gains the respect and attention of her pupils and helps her students through their own personal battles along the way, despite one of her most troubled students succumbing to his worries and being murdered by a rival of his. Luann decides to quit teaching over this, only for the rest of her students to beg her to stay, as she had made such a positive impact on their life. Dangerous Minds was tipped at the time to be Michelle Pfeiffer's first flop, but largely due to the soundtrack, including Gangster's Paradise, Coolio believes it helped it become a memorable box office hit, as he was quoted as saying, it helped give it that emotional and human element. Despite the film being quite successful, much later in 2022, in an interview with Yahoo Entertainment, when asked about the film nowadays, Coolio honestly answered and claimed that the film is a bit of an unbelievable fairy tale as opposed to a likely scenario, as he said, quote, To be honest with you, I hate those kind of movies where the great white hope comes into the inner city neighbourhood and saves the little children. Everybody knows that those kind of moments happen very few and far between, and there's not that many people that care about each other. I'm not saying it's unheard of, but those kind of movies are cliche as hell. Through his lyrics in Gangster's Paradise, Coolio perfectly captures the aspects of the plot of the film, as well as the students' harsh tough upbringings and troubles related to drugs and gang-related crime, which perfectly related to moments in Coolio's own life and a message he had hoped to get across to the kids growing up in the hood that were once like him. While the song of course dealt with some serious and at times dark topics, it also showed Coolio's positivity as he hoped for change for the better. The opening line references the passage from the Bible in Psalm 23-4 that reads, As I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, before Coolio adds his own lyrics, reading, I take a look at my life and realise there's nothing left. To add to the effect of the biblical references in the song, the New York Boys Choir can be heard throughout the song singing beautifully. Some examples of the great descriptive lyrics detail the life of a wannabe gangster who has succumbed to peer pressure and is caught up with the wrong crowd, and brilliantly read, Look at the situation, they got me facing. I can't live a normal life. I was raised by the street. So I gotta be down with the hood team. 
Too much television watching got me chasing dreams. I'm an educated fool with money on my mind. Got my ten in my hand and a gleam in my eye. I'm a loked out gangster, set trippin' banger. And my homies is down, so don't arouse my anger. Death ain't nothing but a heartbeat away. I'm living life, do or die, what can I say? I'm 23 now, but will I live to see 24? The way things is going, I don't know. Coolio, of course, wasn't 23 at the time, and was in fact 30 years old when the track was released, despite claiming he was younger in the lyrics. During Gangster's Paradise, LV then starts singing the lines, originally written by Stevie Wonder, for his song Pastime Paradise, that reads, Tell me why are we so blind to see that the ones we hurt are you and me? Overall, Coolio and LV attempt to persuade young wannabe gangsters to look to achieve more in life than a life of gangbanging, and that if they don't change their life trajectory, they may wind up dead. As Coolio raps the line, You better watch how you're talking and where you're walking, or you and your homies might be lined in chalk. When writing the song with LV and producer Doug Rashid, Coolio stated that he had freestyled the initial lines before sitting down and jotting down the lyrics in one sitting, as he claims he had a type of spiritual moment where the words just came to him from a higher source, as he was quoted as saying, Gangster's paradise wanted to be born, it wanted to come to life, and it chose me as the vessel. Gangster's paradise was this entity, right? It was in the biosphere, and it was looking for a way to come to earth, and it had to choose somebody to come through the airwaves, and it chose me. Coolio claimed that when playing the song for his record company for the very first time, they thought that Gangster's Paradise would just be a good solid album track, and not a hit. Whereas Coolio was excited about the track's release, and could tell it was going to be a big hit. The monster hit would come when Coolio was 30 years old and would rise to number one in a huge 19 countries, including Australia, the US, UK, and across many parts of Europe, with the track lasting three weeks at number one in the US and lasting 14 weeks at number one in Australia, where it held the ARIA charts record for the longest charting number one song for 22 years. Right up until Ed Sheeran's hit single, Shape of You, overtook this record, with 15 weeks at number one during 2017. Gangster's Paradise would go on to sell close to 10 million copies around the world. It went four times platinum in Norway, triple platinum in the UK, Australia and US, and double platinum in Switzerland and Germany. To this day, Gangster's Paradise remains an ever-popular track on radio and on music video channels, just like it did during the late 1990s, as it remains one of the best-selling and most popular hip-hop or rap songs of all time, with it becoming the very first hip-hop or rap single to reach 1 million sales in the UK, holding that record for two years until Puff Daddy and Faith Evans overtook Coolio, with their hit song I'll Be Missing You. During 1995, it was the best-selling single in the US overall, and second best in the UK, while also receiving raving reviews from critics. 
The commercial success of the song also enabled the soundtrack to Dangerous Minds to rise to number one on the US Billboard 200 album chart. While interestingly enough, Coolio actually had to get permission from Stevie Wonder to rework his song Pastime Paradise with Stevie actually denying Coolio's permission to utilise his first recorded version, as it contained too many cuss words in the verses. Gangster's Paradise would be just one of a handful of Coolio's tracks that didn't end up utilising cuss words or profanities, with some of his tracks including titles like Ugly Bitches, Hand on My Nutsack, and Fuck Coolio. After re-recording the track without the cuss words, Stevie approved the song to go ahead, as Coolio was quoted as saying, I had a few vulgarities, and he wasn't with that, so I changed it. Once he heard it, he thought it was incredible. During the Billboard Music Awards held in December 1995, Coolio and LV would be accompanied by Stevie Wonder on stage to perform Gangster's Paradise and Pastime Paradise together with the New York Boys Choir, with the audience absolutely loving their performance. As Coolio described the feeling of performing with Stevie to Yahoo Entertainment by stating, quote, Stevie Wonder, I mean, you know, it was like I was on drugs. It was a high. It really was. I had so much power that night in my voice, my breath control, and stage presence. According to Coolio, Stevie Wonder would actually receive 95% of the proceeds for the publishing rights to Gangster's Paradise, with Coolio receiving just $100,000 for his contribution to the song, and due to this... Coolio wouldn't be able to live off of this monster hit forever, relying on other means to make better coin, such as cameos in films and TV shows down the track, and from the success of his other singles and his own albums. That same night that he performed with Stevie Wonder at the Billboard Awards, Coolio would take home the award for Single of the Year for Gangster's Paradise, and he would later take out a Grammy Award during February 1996 for Best Rap Solo Performance, beating great songs like Dear Mama by Tupac and Big Poppa by the Notorious B.I.G. Coolio made history that evening when accepting his award, addressing the gang-related violent wars that were going on between the west and east coasts of the US, as well as the rivalry between the two in hip-hop, all during his speech when he advocated for peace and was quoted as saying, I'd like to claim this Grammy on behalf of the whole hip-hop nation, West Coast, East Coast and worldwide. United we stand, divided we fall. Coolio starred alongside actress Michelle Pfeiffer from the Dangerous Minds film in the now iconic music video for Gangster's Paradise and was not too impressed with the initial idea for the video as he was quoted as saying, I wanted some lowriders and some shit in it. I was trying to take it hood. Despite this, Coolio grew to be satisfied with the end result, with the video now standing today at over 1 billion views on YouTube, stating that the final video gave him goosebumps. As Coolio claimed, it was his idea to have Michelle walk in and sit down at the start of the video, but that the rest of the video was director Antoine Fecure's idea. 
Coolio would go on to say that the song itself, Gangster's Paradise, in some way was a blessing and a curse, but mainly that it was a blessing for the notoriety and success it brought him, but he claimed it was difficult for him to watch his other tracks that were in his opinion just as important message-wise to be ignored, and that that one song put him on the map as a household name, making it extremely difficult to show people that there were more sides to him. Over time, Coolio struggled with some labelling him a one-hit wonder, despite Coolio most definitely not qualifying for this category due to his multiple top 10 hits and international number one singles. Coolio also hated that when he performed, it was basically a given that the fans would always want him to play Gangster's Paradise. Coolio also won Best Rap Video for the song at the MTV Video Music Awards and Best Video from a Film for Gangster's Paradise in Dangerous Minds at the VMAs. When questioned by British music TV show The Beat about whether or not he sees life improving for those in the ghetto or the hood, despite the positive message in the song, Coolio honestly stated that it would get worse and was quoted as saying, I can't see it. It's impossible. It's not enough money coming through. Damn near every world government in the world is in a deficit, you know. Nobody's making money right now. Everybody's in the red. Also released on the same day as the Gangster's Paradise single, on the 8th of August 1995, was Coolio's cover version of Too Hot, originally performed by Cool and the Gang. Coolio would also add some of his own rap verses to the song, however, as he spoke about the rise and destruction of AIDS or HIV. Coolio did see some slight commercial success with the track, reaching number 6 in Italy, 7 in New Zealand, 9 in the UK and 24 in the US. Following Coolio's rise to fame, he was selected to take part in the 6th Annual Rock and Jock Baseball Game in LA, California, hosted by MTV on the 1st of September, 1995. Coolio, as part of the Bricklayers team, took to the field to bat and hit a pop-up style shot to the infield, which sadly for him was caught on the fall by pro baseballer Ozzie Smith, who caught the ball with his hand behind his back. Coolio stated, quote, I was embarrassed, but it was fun. A few months later, on the 7th of November, 1995, Coolio released his second studio album, titled Gangster's Paradise, which would go on to become his most successful album of his career through its worldwide success, despite charting at number 9 in the US this time around, as opposed to his debut album It Takes a Thief, charting at number 8. The album Gangster's Paradise also charted at number 2 in Switzerland, 3 on the UK R&B chart, and made it to the top 10 in Austria, New Zealand, Germany and the Netherlands. While it also made it to number 12 in Australia, and 18 on the UK mainstream chart. Overall, the album sold approximately 5 million copies, with 2 million of those flying off the shelves in the US, where it went double platinum. Just like the public, the critics loved the album too, with Spin Magazine stating, Today's rappers aren't interested in sharing any knowledge with outsiders. Coolio is the great exception, 
the most stylistically broad mainstream rap album you'll probably hear all year. Even upon first listen, it sounds like a collection of hits. NME magazine said, Instead of playing the role of the oozy-toting big shot, he adopts a more reflective view of urban life in Los Angeles. In doing so, Coolio takes a deliberate step forward from last year's light-hearted debut. While Entertainment Weekly claimed it was the fourth best album overall of 1995, and claimed, The level-headed street philosopher preaching respect for black women, fatherly responsibility, and safe sex, continuing in the great tradition of Sly Stone and Stevie Wonder. Coolio and his crew make the ghetto seem not just a place of desolation, but of hope. As Gangster's Paradise began to dominate the charts, a few weeks later, Coolio would star in the music video Temptations by Tupac. In an interview with Popkiller TV, Coolio said, quote, Everybody was in this, it was all stars, and we all did it because we had love for Puck. You know, he was locked up, and we did it out of the love. With Coolio of course referring to Tupac being in prison at the time for eight months over sexual assault charges. Coolio had actually recorded a song with Tupac and rapping for Tay that never actually hit the shelves unfortunately as a disagreement between Tupac and Coolio's producer DJ Wino over payment forced Tupac to have Wino erase the song as Wino had asked Tupac how much are you going to pay me with Tupac not wanting to pay him anything. DJ Wino usually charged Coolio $3,000 per track, with Wino going as low as 500 bucks for Tupac, but Puck still disagreed and the track was deleted forever. It wouldn't be until the 13th of February 1996 when Coolio released the final single from the Gangster's Paradise album with the song 1234 Something New. 1234 would follow in the footsteps of the success of the rest of the album, reaching number two in both Iceland and New Zealand, three in Switzerland and on the UK R&B chart, number five on the US Billboard Hot 100, 12 in Australia and 13 on the UK Mainstream chart, while also picking up an MTV VMA for Best Dance Video. Just as Coolio looked to be taking the world by storm, taking out awards left, right and centre, he would be faced with a different type of challenge when a feud with parody superstar Weird Al Yankovic sparked up over a parody version of Coolio's biggest hit song. Find out in part 2 how, when and why their feud began, along with Coolio's declining commercial success and the breakdown of his marriage, leading him into a number of run-ins with the law and a load of reality TV appearances that saw him fight to remain relevant in an ever-changing and dog-eat-dog industry. While we also take a look at all the other major events leading up to his sad death in 2022. Thank you for tuning into that episode. Don't forget to check out our other episodes, ranging from Kurt Cobain and Freddie Mercury to Prince, Chasey Chapman and Stevie Nicks, 
and up-and-comers like Youngblood, Tones and I, and The Kid Leroy. For more information regarding this episode, including weekly updates and more, head to our Facebook page at Lyrics of Their Life Podcast, or our website at lyricsoftheirlife.com. You can also find us on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and even YouTube and Spotify, where you can find a range of playlists featuring the music of every artist covered in the Lyrics of Their Life podcast so far. If you really enjoy the podcast and would like to give back for the hard work that goes into it, it would be greatly appreciated if you could leave a five-star rating and review on iTunes, or you can now rate the podcast on Spotify. Don't forget to let your friends and family know about what they've been missing out on, and feel free to click the free subscribe or follow button to the podcast wherever you listen, so you can receive a notification every time a new episode becomes available. If you would like to support the podcast financially, then please feel free to head to Patreon or buymeacoffee.com, where you can contribute your support for the podcast in exchange for some bonus content, ranging from as little as $1 donations to really anything you like. Every bit of support is greatly appreciated, and it means I can continue to bring you more great episodes in the future. This podcast is created and researched completely independently, so your contribution would really help this podcast continue on. Once again, thank you all for listening. I hope you enjoyed that episode. I'm your host Adam Hampton, and this is Lyrics of Their Life.